What's the first thing that comes into your mind if I mention the book of Daniel? Beat you. The lion's den. The whole thing of the lion's den. And uh, <clears throat> this was the true, true, true test of Daniel's life. This was the one of uh, Daniel facing the biggest test. When he was at the, probably at the, the end of his life, he was over 85 years old. And here he is, and we're going to have a look at, you know, the, the whole act of, of what happened and, and the true meaning of Daniel's life. It doesn't matter what comes Daniel's way. He didn't sway to the left or the right. He stayed on the path that God set before him. Him and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Isaiah, uh, Hananiah, and Michael. They're using their proper names. And uh, it really has encouraged me, really encouraged me how I've heard some folks saying, you know, I picked up on that and I get that now and, and I'm getting this now. And there's a deeper revelation and I think Daniel is such a prophetic book for our day and our age that if we miss this, then we'll have no understanding of what John was saying in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. But there is going to be an unveiling, and his name is Jesus. There is going to be an unveiling through the books of Daniel and the book of Revelation, and the unveiling is Jesus. And the whole book of Revelation is the blueprint, the blueprint of a battle for a wedding feast at the end of it. And folks... I believe with all of my heart that anybody here listening to my voice and what the Lord is saying, you're part of the bride. You're part of the bridal paradigm. You're in it. You're going to be up to your neck in this. And I'll tell you now, we're going to have to face some lion's dens. Each and every one of us is going to have to face, like Daniel, our own lion den. And why did they have... Um, well... Have you ever asked yourself the question of why was there lions in a pit in this huge, huge city of Babylon? Well, the lions basically were capital punishment. They didn't have the electric chair, they didn't have the lethal injection or, or hanging or whatever. They had lions, and these lions were not fed. And a sentence would be passed to you, and you would literally be chucked into the pit to very hungry lions. And that was their form of capital punishment. Now, I want to get one matter straightened. In the book of Daniel, people thought that Darius and, Sy and, and Sirius were the same people. But they cannot be. Because when we look at Daniel 6, verse 28, it says, so that Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius is the mead of the statue of silver of arms of silver and the breast of silver. He is the Mede and the Persians. There were two arms to it. And that's what uh, Daniel saw. He saw the two arms, which were the Medes coming first and the Persians after it, through Darius and through uh, Cyrus. And the, the, the whole thing was, they think that Darius was probably a general, a Mede and general, uh, that fought for Cyrus. And there was an alliance going on. But... Uh, Darius was a general. He was the one that probably took Babylon. If you remember last week, I said about how they did it with these, these huge, thick walls. They thought that Babylon was impregnable. You couldn't get through the walls. You couldn't storm the walls. You would, it'd be like putting a, 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 a pea shot at a huge wall. It just had no effect. They used to have chariot races on the walls. But what they did was, under Darius's um, generalship in the army, <clears throat> in the heat of night... In the dead of night, they dug another channel. 
because the Euphrates ran for 14 miles through the city. And what they did is they dug and they formed another channel and they diverted the water. And the water just diverted down their channel and it created a, a dry riverbed. And they literally marched underneath the walls. So Darius has probably given the whole province of Babylon as a reward from Cyrus. And we saw that in October the 11th, 539 BC, that Babylon fell. And uh, we went through the whole of that, uh, that Daniel is now, in, in this part one of, of, of chapter six, is Daniel's promotion. And Darius promoted him. And, you know, I asked myself a question is, is, as Daniel's watching all this, Daniel has now seen the whole thing of Nebuchadnezzar's statue coming into being. There he is living under the rule and reign of Nebuchadnezzar. And then we go to his son, Belshazzar. And now we see the Medes and the Persians coming. So, but Darius sees the whole picture. And he knows it doesn't matter what comes in, God's in control. And we've got to remember this, that God is in control. He knows exactly what he is going to do and what needs to be done. And that's what we've got to recognize. In this day and age, with what's coming on this earth, Folks, there is judgment coming. There is judgment coming. I was talking to my friend Woody in America, and uh, I remember saying last week, stuff is going to happen off in California. There are fires just breaking out. Um, And this is major news out in California. And the sky is so black that even in the midday sun, it just seems as a, a massive cloud stopping and blocking the sun. And these fires are raging, and it came down that they, their house was put on alert. They almost thought they had to move out of the house. Things are starting to come. Things are starting to happen. And our whole thing is that we want to di- divert the, the river of God to flow through this, this nation. We're saying, Lord, flow through this nation. Let us be that river of love for this nation. And God is raising up his army. God is raising up you and me, and we're about to be promoted. I totally believe that we're about like Darius, uh, uh, like, uh, not Darius, Daniel. Daniel, in the, in the, doesn't matter how old you are, folks, Daniel was at the end of his life. He was around about 86, even 90 at this point, and he was promoted. He was, he was one of three that were in, given incredible control. And it says in verses 1 to 3, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole of the kingdom. And over these three governors, one of them, whom was Daniel, that the satraps might give account to them, so the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So here we have Daniel in the twilight of his, his whole life. He's gained not just promotion as being one of the three, he's now gained promotion above everyone. And this is a prophetic picture of how God, in the twilight of our day, where this day is almost over, there is going to be a promotion of a body of people above all authority above all power. And folks, that's you and me. That is you and me. We're about to get, have an excellent spirit put in us, which is the Holy Ghost. We're about to have an infilling of the Holy Ghost like we've never seen 
be full. That's what's coming. That is what's coming. And it may not look like it. We may feel, you know, well, I'm not qualified. Well, then you're unqualified. If you don't believe that you're qualified for this, then you're unqualified yourself. You've got to believe this is for you. You've got to grasp this. You've got to grasp this in the spirit and say, this is for me and it isn't going anywhere else. This, this is not, you know, we're going to, we, I will be criticized by other, other people. That, you know, oh, he's so full of pride. He's so, no, I've got a, I've got a big card. I've got a huge card. He can do whatever he wants to do because he's in total control. And he's in control of you and he's in control of me. And what he does with us, he's going to give us promotion and give us a new spirit. And we're going to start seeing the, the whole thing of what Jesus says. You know, it's better that I go. It's better that I go. It's better that I leave you. But I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going to leave my Holy Spirit here. And then you will be doing even greater things than I. We're about to see incredible miracles break out. We're seeing miracles break out in this place. We're seeing people getting healed in this place. And there's you know, people you know, who've been touched by the Spirit without being touched by the hand of man, being touched by the Holy Spirit. And God is going to heal people in huge numbers. We will just, there'll be such authority on this new, new way, this new spirit that is going to enter into the church that we're going to have such authority we will literally say be moved and it will be moved. But God has got to trust us with what's coming. How's he going to trust us? By de- defining and shaping our character. I think if, if nothing else... These last three years for me has been about defining and shaping my character. And I'll tell you something else. As I keep saying, and I will keep drumming this in right the way through until the Lord comes back. He gets all the glory. Not one of it sticks to us. He gets, because that's my estimate, that's my opinion, that he is the most high God. He is the most high God. So that's my opinion. Lord, you are the most high God and you get all the, all the credit. You get all the glory. You get everything onto your name because you paid a high price for you and me. That when we were sinners, God sent his one and only son that whoever calls upon his name shall be saved in body, mind and spirit. And that hasn't stopped, folks. That has not stopped. But I love this because Darius must have known about Daniel and Daniel's whole role and the prophecies that that had come down and filtered down through Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And therefore, he knew that Daniel was not against him. That's why he was promoted. He knew that Daniel had no axe to grind, that he was totally on board with all of this because Daniel knew that even though it might have gone to Darius... But God was in control. And he wasn't frightened about saying the truth, Daniel. And Darius recognized that. He also saw that the Daniel was full of integrity and must have known what happened that last night in the feasting hall. And he must have known that, that Daniel, when, when, when Belshazzar was offering him all the gold and the silver and all the, the promotion, he said, no, give that to someone else. So straight away... Darius looked and recognized that Daniel could not be bought. He wasn't going to be swayed by the gold, glitter, and glamour. 
He wasn't going to be swayed by the amount of concubines. He wasn't going to be swayed by any of that. He would only be swayed by following his one and only true God. And this is what we've got to do. We've got to be looking. And God is looking for people like Daniel in our age. They're going to stand up for the truth and absolutely stand up and be prepared to be locked up. Be prepared to even be executed. Be prepared to sow your life. God is looking for those people. But I'll tell you now, in the biggest storm, God's in the middle of it. He will walk with you through the storm when you put your trust in him. There was warfare going on tonight. Incredible warfare, but incredible breakthrough. I think we had a a very significant time on Wednesday night when we gathered here for prayer. An incredibly significant time. There's a new birthing process happened. A new birthing process. And the bride is going to come forth. You see, God is looking for a people that will only build on what he's building. And we're not building a kingdom here. But we are. We're building his kingdom. And therefore, we've come into the revelation. If we're building his kingdom, then he'll take care of everything else. He'll take care of the money. He will take care of the people. He will take care of everything else if we are building his kingdom. And I, I believe that God's spirit is right behind us. And I believe that it doesn't matter how we look at ourselves, God looks at us through his eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of Jesus, completely and utterly forgiven. Folks, Christians should never, ever, ever feel guilty. That's sin. If we're feeling guilty about our past, then you're saying your estimate of God is whatever your son did wasn't good enough. That's your estimate of him. That's your opinion of God. We have been set free. My past is one of the most colourful you could probably, you know, but we've all got a past. But you know what? I am set free. I have got no guilt and no shame. And, no, and I can approach that throne with confidence. Why? Because, through, because of the blood of Jesus. And so should you. And don't let your failures put you off. We all fail. But guess with God, we always get to reset the test. Absolutely. And God is looking for people of good character doesn't matter what we've gone through. And in the Bible, there, are, there is always a battle going on between two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light, and the kingdom of darkness of men and the kingdom of God. And who's going to win? Because these two kingdoms are at total opposite ends. Totally at opposite ends. But we know who wins, don't we? Isn't, isn't it great to start out that we know we're on the winning side? That he can't fail. God has never failed once. And he's not likely to either. So I love it. I just, I mean, I'd love to go on a, a rugby pitch and think, well, the game's won. You know, I just have to turn up. You know, the referee's going to blow the whistle, but we've won. Before the game's even started, we've won. Isn't that fantastic? You know, devil, you've got to read the end of the book. <laughs> he is a prowling lion but he's toothless when we have our opinion of our God that he is our fortress and he is our rock and he is our light and he is everything to us 
There is nothing the devil can do that will steer us from that path. See, Jesus had to face this whole thing about the kingdom of man versus the kingdom of God. And we see that in Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22. It says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they said, sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore... What do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness. And he said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. They brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image is on that inscription? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar. That's the, that's the government of man. That's the kingdom of man. Render therefore to Caesar the things of Caesar and to God the things of God, the kingdom of heaven. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left and went on their way. We all know the story, but they were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to get him to commit treason in the kingdom of man. And then also, they were trying to get Jesus to worship that image that was on that coin, which is the kingdom of heaven. So you're getting this warfare. Basically, they looked at the back of the coin, and whoever's name, or the name of Caesar, which means king, you were called to literally worship him. And we see that going down into, into the, the Holy Roman Empire where, where they, they literally butchered so many Christians because they refused, as they were paying their taxes, to acknowledge him as the king of kings. Because there's a battle of two kingdoms. And folks, we are in the battle of two kingdoms. We are seeing the battle of the kingdom of man trying to usurp the kingdom of God. Just look at the laws of this land and what's coming on it. And it's going to get worse. But there is going to, God is going to raise up a body of people that absolutely be the salt and the light of this world. And here we have Jesus just using that example. He separates the two kingdoms out. Give to government what is due to government and give to God what is due to God. How, do you, how many of us here in this room know that the UK is not our kingdom? It's not our kingdom. Our kingdom's there. That's where our king resides. That's where we want to worship the king of kings. In that kingdom. I don't belong. I'm, I'm, I'm like an alien on this planet. But folks, just as much as that, God cares about this kingdom. God cares what happens on this kingdom. But we know, and we've got to know this, that God is in control of this kingdom. And he will not let it go down. Why? Because of the many that have gone before us. The missionaries that have gone out from this land and spread right the gospel right around the world. Their blood's crying out from the soil in the cloud of witnesses for this kingdom. Their, their prayers are going before the throne of God saying, Lord, what about me? I came from that kingdom. What about the blood I sowed? This is going to come. I, be I believe with all of my heart. I believe this. I believe when these end days get really bad, and they will get bad, it's our greatest moment of triumph. And I believe that the UK has been separated out geographically 
where the man-child and the bride will be protected of Revelation 12. And I'm absolutely sure of that. But there will be some judgment coming on the earth. But the judgment coming on the UK, I'm praying that, Lord, just, just make it short. Make it short and sharp. But, Lord, let your revival break out. I believe, I believe that now we are due revival in this, in this land. We haven't seen one for, since the real last one was the Welsh revival and the Hebridean revival. Yeah, we're due revival. But I believe God's held it back for such a time as this. That's what I believe. And I believe that God is preparing a body of people for this. Verse 3 of chapter 6. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above all the governors and, and satraps because he had an excellent spirit. And the king gave him gave thought to, to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they will find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor there was any error or fault found in him. Folks, we're going to have enemies. And they're going to come from within. They're going to be saying, look at this, you know, he's this, or they're that, or they've said this, and they've said that. But you know what? I love Daniel. I love Daniel. He never shifted. He never shifted. And they followed him. They totally followed him 24 hours a day for, for week after week after week. And they had spies spying every movement that he made. And they found nothing wanting in him. Found absolutely nothing. And the same is that when they come looking for us, they're going to find nothing in us. Nothing in us. But we see envy. There's going to be such envy with this new move of God. There is going to be such almost like competition with this new move. Folks, I pray that this move breaks out throughout the whole of the UK. I pray that. Lord, just break out. But Lord, let us be one of your fires. Let us be one of your fires, Lord. And there might be a thousand around this island, but let us be one of them. We don't want to be the only one. Guess why? Because <laughs> the enemy's focus will be on us. But when he starts building these fires and these fires start breaking out, the enemy's going to be start reaching for those, you know, give me some more of those tablets. I've got a bit of a headache here. I can't cope with all these fires. I don't know what to do. And, and, and he's not going to be able to cope because there's going to be a lot of them. But I'm going to make sure that we're one of them. I'm going to make sure. And that's what I believe. But just like Daniel, he was secure in himself. Are you secure? Are you secure in yourself? Are you really secure in yourself? You, you're saying, God, you know, no matter what happens, I'm secure in you. That's all I need. I'm secure with you. Yeah, Lord, I can do this better and I can do that better, but when your spirit hits my spirit, it's going to happen in a flash. Because that's the God I know. I don't want to be swayed. I don't want to be tempted by anything of this world. Just like Daniel. I don't want anything on a Friday night of the, of the centre of town. I don't want to get completely, you know, going in, into the devil's playground in his backyard and start playing with the little toys that he's got set out there. But one thing I love about Daniel, he wasn't frightened about losing his reputation. He wasn't bothered about popularity. He wasn't influenced by public opinion. Just like our government today, they're more concerned about public opinion than anything else. I'm not bothered by it. I don't care what people think of me, to be quite honest. I love him. I love him. That's all I care about. Is Do I love him with all of my heart? 
And do I love my wife? Do I, am I a good father to my son? Am I a good husband? But am I a good leader? I don't know. You know. We make mistakes. We all make mistakes. But at the end of the day, I want to have integrity. I want to be honest. I want to have good character before the people. And only God can do that. Because we, it says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31, this should be what we should be all memorizing and taking three times a day. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Everything that we do should be for his glory. Everything that we say should be for his glory. Everything that we think should be for his glory. So they were trying to find this charge against Daniel. Where shall we not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God? So here we have it. We'll get him with the laws of God as they go against the laws of the land. That's what, that, that's what their plot was. That we can get Daniel, we can trap him if we make a law of this land and when he serves his God, that he goes against the laws of this land. Folks, this is going to come on us. They are going to try and shut us down. They're going to try and shut our freedom of speech in the church. They're going to try and stop us. And they already are. They're already stopping us. You know, about this whole thing about we're not to say that, that homosexual, homosexuality is wrong. Listen, the Bible says it's wrong. It's wrong. We're to love them. Love them and show them a greater way. And absolutely pour ourselves out to them. But the Bible says it's wrong. And you have that man who was tricked by the two homosexuals when they walked up to him in the streets. We know about it, where he was held in prison for 19 hours with no charge brought to him, no nothing brought to him, and then they only charged him at the end of 19 hours. He wasn't allowed any water, he wasn't allowed a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or a biscuit. And we've just found out that he's being given awards for damages of £19,000 for the 19 hours that he was kept in unlawfully. It's coming, folks. But we've got to stand up and be counted. Just like Daniel. We've got to stand up and be counted. So here we have, they're going to make a royal decree. We know the story. They're going to make a royal decree that goes against what Daniel is about, which is about his God. It's two kingdoms again. And we're about to see this play, played out. But Jesus played this out in John 18, verse 33. It says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Here we go. And Jesus answered, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? <laughs> your own nation, your chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. Listen, our kingdom is not of this world. Our kingdom's there with him. And if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that we should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate said for him, Then are you a king? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause as I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I shall bear witness to the truth, and whoever hears the truth and hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is the truth? And when he, when he had said this, he went out against the Jews, and he said to him, I can find no fault in him. Folks, we're going to have the backing of, of heaven, backing us up and driving this whole thing forward. We're not going to be doing it ourselves. Because our kingdom is about to come down and invade earth. We're about to invade earth. 
with the kingdom of God. And there is going to be a war break out, as we know in these end times. I love what Jesus says, that he is the rock in this church. He is the, he is the, the absolute rock that's going to bring smashing down this statue. That's a rock not carved out of by human hands. It's, a, it's carved out by the hand of God. That is going to smite this kingdom. And upon this rock, Jesus says, talking about himself, the gates of hell will not prevail. So it doesn't matter what's happening with you. The gates of hell will not prevail when you recognise that your opinion, your estimate of Jesus is that he is the rock and that nothing can get past him without his opinion, his, his opinion, his say-so. And they say in Daniel 32, 4.32, it says, And they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. It's talking about Nebuchadnezzar. And they shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you. That's seven years until you know that the most high God rules in the kingdom of men. It and gives to it whoever he chooses. So we see that these men are trying to get Darius to, to make a decree and trap Daniel by using the laws of man as opposed to the laws of God. And because of Daniel's insecurities, because of their lovely flavoured words and, and you know pride kicks in. And it says in Daniel uh, 6, verse 6, So then the governors and the satraps thronged before the king and said unto him, King Darius, live forever, live forever. And all the governors of the king, the administrators and the satraps, and the council and the advisors had all consulted together to establish a royal statute that to make a firm decree. And as we know that if there's a decree gone out from the king, not even he can change it. He can't change this decree. Once it's there, it's set in stone. It cannot be changed. O king, says, uh, make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed and written the decree. Listen, be, beware of people giving you flattery. Beware when people start saying, you know what, you're the business. Beware of that. Don't let that come into it. Don't let that come anywhere near you. You know, I love people like William Branham. When people started saying William Branham, the Branhamites, as they became known, they started calling him Elijah Restored. And, and, and William Branham gets up in the middle of a meeting in Chicago and he says, I rebuke you for that. And if you do not stop calling me Elijah Restored, God is going to take me home. God's going to take me home. Folks, we can't allow any of us coming into our lives when this hits, and it will hit, this is going to hit us, and it's going to hit us pretty quick. We cannot go into pride. We cannot go into flattery. We cannot be swayed by the good, bad, and the ugly, what's happening out there. We cannot be swayed by what might be written about us. We can't be swayed. This is the greatest movement that God has ever seen. No, we're just going to be doing the Lord's work, and he will do the rest, and we're going to give him the glory for all of us, and none of it is going to be on ourselves. But here we see in a total erosion of God's ways, into the, into the ways of man. And folks, now we're seeing a total erosion of this, that we are swapping God's ways for the laws of the land. That's why in, you know, I'm a teacher, I know. I've stood in so many assemblies 
as a teacher for over 20 years, and very, I can count on maybe two fingers, where we have prayed to God. In fact, I, I cannot, I cannot remember any part of that where I have been in school where they have prayed to God in an assembly, where any godly um, advice from the Bible was given to the students. It, it, I've never heard of it, and yet it's getting stronger. Heidi and I did an assembly where we were asked to come and do a presentation of the orphans in Uganda, and we did one, and, and, and we got we got quite heavily reprimanded by an assistant head who said, you're too evangelistic because we had a, a T-shirt on one of the bits of the films that Jesus saves. Yeah, and, and, and gave us a really hard time and said that, you know, please don't do that on the next assemblies that we were doing that week to all the year groups. And we had to change it completely and come from more of a humanitarian, humanitarian thing than a God thing. Yeah, and, and, and that's wrong. That's really wrong. Yeah, and we're seeing that you know the church is just so liberal and so compromising in a lot of its ways, and it frightens me. And we're going to see this thing called the emerging church come out, where they're now saying people like Steve Chalk, yeah, that that was was one of the guys that was one of the directors of Evangelical Alliance, and this guy has turned full circle. He is now saying as part of this emerging church in the UK, that all gods, all gods lead to the same God. That ain't right. This has come into the church. Yeah, and doesn't the Bible say there is only one way to God and that's through Jesus? There is such compromise. Yeah, we're seeing the compromise of marriage, the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman in church before the eyes of God. And now we're told that if you are a registered church you know, and you have got the license to marry, if a gay couple come to you as a vicar or a pastor of that church, you have to marry them. I'm not. <laughs> There's absolutely no ways. Put me in prison. I'm not going to marry them. Because this is a sanctity of God making a man and a woman coming together in marriage and making them one. I'm not going to compromise on that. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a question for you. I mean, I've, I've listened to politicians and other people. And, but why would a self-confessing atheist, is what we're seeing a lot in our government. You know, Nick Clegg gets up and says, I'm an atheist. But yet, why won't they allow... Why, why, why don't they believe? Well, you know, what I'm trying to say is, is, if they're an atheist and they don't believe in God, why are they so bothered about whether there's prayer in church? Why, why are they bothered whether there's uh, a Christian assembly in church? Why are they bothered if they don't believe in God? Because there's another force behind them. It's called the kingdom of men. It's a kingdom of darkness. And we're going to see this in an increasing, increasing way. You know, and... and um, and we're seeing this in our headlines, this whole thing about the homosexuality whole thing. You know, and yet, in the population, you know, the actual amount of homosexuals and lesbians there are is very, very small. And yet, it's almost like, you know, that there's, it's like we're over 50, 60%, you know, a gay community. And yet, it's so, so, so small. And yet, it's major issues. Why? Because there's a force behind it. This is to make the church compromise. 
So, would Daniel follow God or Darius? This is a question I asked. I thought to myself, you know, Darius, you know, the question is, should we as Christians have our allegiance to God or our country? Don't answer it now. Where's our allegiance lying? You know, and I've read the Bible, I'm going to bring some scriptures up, you know, but where does our allegiance come to? Is it, is it to God or is it to the government? Yet we're told that we've got to honour the government. It says in Romans 13, submit to governments. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that ex- exist are appointed by God. That seems quite a strange thing to say. And then in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every um, ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the kings or, the, or supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. So history shows us, though, that there has been this constant battle with Christians and the government. There's been this constant things of, of this battle between God's ways and the, and the ways of the land. And it's always this, which one should you follow? Do you follow the ways of you know, God or are you going to follow the ways of the land? Very simply, I believe that God is telling us not to let any government run right over us and take God's laws out of this land and replace it with their laws. And the only time that we are absolutely to go against government is when they start trying to close us down. When they stop us having freedom of worship and freedom of speech. You know, which, which is my father and my grandfather fought for me and you in the First World War and the Second World War. So we have the right to freedom of speech. We have the right to have freedom of worship. And when they start bringing laws in this land to try and close us down, which is that what they are doing, behind the scenes. If you don't look at the BBC and you go behind the scenes and, and read what other you know, news agencies you know, are talking about, there is a movement now that unless you belong to a certain organisation, they can shut you down as a church. That's in law already. That if you don't, you know, you know and this, this guy, I, I can't remember his name, Hardy, can you remember his name? He got up in, in the 1990s and prophesied this. And everyone thought that he was off his rocker. But this has been a passion for him. And he lives down south. And he says, well, I've got a way around it. You can come to me and you can be part of my organization. Not, you know, as in join him, but get that covering so no government can shut you down. And, and we're, we're having a look at it. But Neville said this. He said, Andy, you know, when this money comes in and you can buy your buildings, do not buy it in the church's name. Don't buy it through bushfire. Buy it through your own names. Why? Because it's through the church the government can take it off you. But if it's from individuals, they can't. But that's going to change. It's really going to change. But we should, we should only go against government as if they're telling us that we can't pray, that we can't have public worship, that we can't you know, follow the, the, the worship of our God, and they try and close us down. That's what I think... Well, actually, it's right to go against the government. We see here in verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and, and sign it in writing, so that it cannot be a change, according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. And as soon as Daniel knew that decree was signed, there was no way to change it. So what did he do? Unbelievable. 
Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, with his window open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God, as was his custom since early days. So here we have Daniel doing what he's done for, for over 70 odd years as he's lived in, in this Babylonian you know, society. He's prayed to God three times a day. And he went back and he peeled back the curtains, he opened all the shutters and he, he knew that they would see him praying. Because what he did is he turned to the west to where Jerusalem was. He faced it from his window and he prayed in that direction. And so I got thinking about this. And I did a little bit of research and I found this out. <coughs> Excuse me. I found that, that Daniel must have lived in the Babylonian palace, that he had like a presidential suite that was part of the palace. And that's where he resided because he was on call 24 hours a day to the king. If the king needed counsel, it was better to have Darius in the same palace than have to go and search for him in the streets. So they knew exactly where Darius would be. They'd spied it out. They knew exactly what it was. But how did they spot Darius praying by a window? And I, some of you might know, but I only found it out this week, or last week, as I was doing the research. Archaeologists found that they had um, the buildings of a temple just outside the palace. And the building of the temple was the Temple of Belus. It was, listen to this, 660 feet, six, 666 feet high. 666 feet high. And its back faced west. Its head faced east. And it was higher than the palace. So what these guys did when they were trapping Daniel, they went up to the upper rooms of this temple. It was a temple that worshipped the, uh, the... It was a temple of astrono astrology. They worshipped the stars and the, and the moons and, and all of this and the planets. They, and that, that's what they, it was set up for. But they stood and they looked over the actual palace suite of Daniel. And it was higher. So they were looking and waiting for Darius, to, for Daniel to... To, to start praying, and they could see straight into his room. And that's how they did it. But Daniel, he went, went west, but this statue, or this temple, faced east. So they could look, look out the windows and see Daniel praying. And they knew as soon as he'd done that, they had him. They had him. And they went straight to the king. Then these men assembled and found, these men assembled where? They assembled in this temple, and they were waiting for Daniel to make his move. And they found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And I'm going to speak a little bit about that. Really interesting. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not, Darius, have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast in the, Daniel, in, in the, in the den of lions? And the king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the lords and the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard to you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So they just didn't observe Daniel praying once. They observed and watched him praying three times in one day. 
three times. They had surveillance on Daniel 24 hours, seven days a week. And then the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. There is a relationship going on here with Darius and Daniel. An amazing relationship. In the same way like Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. There was a, they had a love for each other. Yeah, they, they had a respect for each other. They had a, a fondness. They had a friendship. And when Darius realized that his friend was in trouble, he tried to find where, a way for a whole day and a whole night to change this decree. So he got all his advisors together. Come on, guys. Let's think of a way we can get my friend out of the stick. Or we can get my friend out of trouble. And they said, he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king. They said to the king, Know, O king, that the laws of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree or statute with the king established may be changed. They say, come on, we've got you. Pronounce the only sentence that you can do, which is a capital punishment. Throw him to the, throw him to the den. So the king gave the command. They brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But listen to this. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God in whom you serve continually will deliver you. How did he know that? How did he know that the God that Daniel served, that this God would deliver Daniel? How did he know that? Well, he didn't really, but he'd heard the stories. He heard the stories of, of Hananiah, Azariah, and Michael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He heard the stories of how these three men were shoved into a fiery furnace, and then four men appeared in it. They were through the three of them and another man appeared in it. And, and even though the fire burnt all of their shackles and, and everything off, they walked and not a bit of flame touched their clothing. And they came out of that fiery furnace not even smelling of any burning. So Darius had heard these stories. And there was something in him saying, I can't change this, guys. <laughs> but, Dar- but Daniel, let the God that I have heard about, the one that you serve... Your God now deliver you. And the king and the king and the stone was put and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Darius was mad at himself. How he had been completely hoodwinked into, into bringing his good friend into this predicament. And he was, he was annoyed at himself. He was, he was so, you know, like ashamed of himself that he, he sought to, to really find a way out for his mate. But look what he says in verse 16 is, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And that's from a heathen. When this starts hitting us, we're going to have people with no belief saying, My God, your God is really big. Your God is really powerful. Your God is absolutely the business because of what he's doing for you. Why, when all this has happened in this land, why wasn't your house burnt down? Or why wasn't your house you know, knocked by the wind? And why, was your, why are you the only person standing in your... You know, that sort of thing. And then you're going to be able to say, well, the God that I serve is the most high God. And when you put your trust in him and not have your own understanding, he will guard your ways. He will keep you safe. He will make sure that you and your family are protected. And he's basically saying, go on, Daniel, pray that your God shows up and saves you. But here's what I'm getting at. 
This decree was only for 30 days. 30 days. That he was asked not to worship and not asked to, uh, to do anything else to worship God. You know, what, just for 30 days he was told not to pray. Just for 30 days. It wasn't like Nebuchadnezzar who says, you know, you will not worship any other God apart from the statue. It wasn't like that. It was only for 30 days. And he could have closed his curtains. He could have closed the shutters of his palace suite. He could have closed it and prayed behind closed doors. So my question was this. Why didn't he do that? Why didn't he at least close the shutters and, and you know, put the curtains aside and pray in, in the quiet of his own room where nobody would find out and keep it hidden for 30 days? Why didn't he? I got it. Daniel had been studying the books of Jeremiah. And he knew from the books of Jeremiah, from, 20, from chapter 25, chapter 29, and chapter 30, that the 70 years of captivity was coming to an end. He'd worked that out. That, oh my word, Daniel is working out the days and the months and the years, and he's ticked them off. And it's almost fulfilled. Because look what he says in Daniel 9, verse 2 and 3. He says, in the first year of his reign. Whose reign? Whose reign? He's talking about Darius. In the first year of Darius's reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the numbers of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face, listen to this, then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. That's why Daniel didn't compromise. Because he was setting his face like flint before God and petitioning for the release of the Jewish nation, for the restoring of Jerusalem. And he had worked it out to almost the day that it was about to happen. Folks, there are people here listening, sitting down in this room, which is you and me, because I can't see many other people. But we know, like Daniel, we've looked at Scripture, we've looked at the, the signals, we've looked at the signs that God has displayed in the heavens. We know that the blood moons and, and the significance of those blood moons of what is happening in 2014, 2015, these are signals. They're the micro, the signals of God to his people that something amazing is about to break out. It's happening. We're sitting here as Daniels. We are looking at what Scripture is saying. We've unpacked it. We've had a look at what the heavens are saying. Because he will what? Display in the signs in the heavens the wonders of heaven. And when we broke all of that down, folks, we are living in the last days. Not just the last... We haven't... We have not got a lot of time. We are living in the last days. And I had a conversation with a good friend of ours and she said to us, but, but the Bible says we're not to know the hour or the day, but there's nothing to stop us knowing the month or the year. Didn't Jesus rebuke 
the Pharisees for not recognizing the seasons that they were in, that the Messiah had come back and he rebuked them. What's he going to do to the church when the church have completely disregarded the signs of the times? He's going to allow them to be caught out. They're going to be caught out. They're asleep. They're the five foolish virgins that have let the oil. They haven't prepared. They haven't gone out. They haven't bought. They haven't paid a price. They have not paid the price like the five wise. That's us. We have all paid a price. We are all paying a price for what we're doing today. It is not easy going against the flow of what church is saying. Yet you know. And therefore you will stand up before God. Not, you, not as a church. You will stand up before God and say, what did you do with my signals? What did you do when you recognised these signs? Did you prepare yourself? Did you go out and get ready for what I'm about to do? This is why Heidi and I have been doing this for year after year after year. We've been saying this for, since 2008 we got this message. 2008, and we've been saying it ever since from the highest rooftops, God's about to do it. God's about to do it. And I'm like Daniel, I've ticked off the years, and the 70 years is complete. God is going to have his way. God is going to have his way. His bride will arise out of the dust of ashes. They're from the dust of ashes into beauty. And we will have, I will have the bridal gown on. Listen, if you're sons, I can be a bride. I get it. I don't have a problem with that. Not a problem. But I'll have my army boots underneath. Because there's going to be a battle. There is going to be a battle. And guess what, folks? We have got to be prepared to get our hands dirty. We have got to be prepared to fight this and fight it and fight it. Even if it goes against our government, we've got to fight for the ways of God and the truth of God. Because this is what's coming. The devil is going to set up, the Antichrist is already setting up a political system, a religious system, a monetary system. These are already being set up. Who to catch out? Well, you'll find out in Revelations 13. And Revelations 12, that it says the majority of the child, the, the, the people that are sat in churches, the devil is going to turn around and slaughter. Because we have ignored the signals and the seasons and the times that we're in. Folks, you've got to get ready. I've, I, I've, I've had an encounter with the Lord. Yeah, and I, I don't say that lightly. And I asked the question, Lord, are we to prepare and do much? And what, what are we meant to do? Are we meant to just allow you to do everything or are we meant to do all? And he said, look at Noah. What did I ask Noah to do? I said, prepare the ark for the storm. And I said, yes, Lord. And he said, when the storm came, what happened? You looked after him. I believe we've got to do as much as we possibly can. Some of us might be able to buy you know, thousands of pounds of food or whatever. Some of us might be able to only buy a couple of cans of beans. But whatever you've got in your hand, the five bread, the fish and the, and the bread, whatever you've got in your hand, give it unto the Lord. And then once you've done as much as you possibly can, he will take care of the rest. 
And I believe the church is about to be caught out. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that there is only a remnant company. Just as we see now with Nehemiah, when, when Daniel gets this whole revelation that they're about to return to Jerusalem. Folks, out of two and a half million, three million people, how many people returned to Jerusalem initially? How many people returned to Jerusalem initially? About 4,000. On the second call, how many people returned to Jerusalem? About 40,000. There's a wheel with inside a wheel. There's going to be a, a remnant of a remnant company of people that is going to usher in this next move of God. We're going to be the first wave. We're the, the first 4,000, this remnant company of people that first go back. And we're going to have our shields, we're going to have our swords, we're going to have our spears as we rebuild the, the whole thing of the kingdom of God. Because there's a battle on hand. Just like in Nehemiah's day. Daniel was counting down the days and he knew the captivity was almost over and that they will soon be allowed to return to Jerusalem. And he was in deep, deep prayer and fasting. And when all this was going on, listen, nothing, nothing, hell or high water wasn't going to stop him praying because he knew that any day now they'll be called back to establish the walls of Jerusalem. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 10, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him and steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. But may the God of all grace, who has called us to his external glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, established, strengthened, and settled in you. Folks, we're going to face some lion dens. But there is going to be a movement of God that he is going to create a body of people that are perfect, that are established in his ways, that are strengthened by the Holy Ghost, and that the Holy Spirit is going to settle on us. That's what it's talking about. When we have faced some of these lions in the den and we put our trust in him and we're saying, Lord, it doesn't matter what happens, my trust is in you. Wow. Folks, that doesn't sound like a rapture, does it? Just those verses. It doesn't sound like a rapture. It's this whole thing. He didn't take Noah out of the storm. He didn't take Israel out of the desert. He didn't take Job out of his sufferings. Why? Why do you think he didn't do it? And why do you think that, that the devil is allowed? I believe it's a doctrine of the, of, of the devils. I believe this is a doctrine of, the, of saying that we're going to be raptured out. I believe that. And I'll tell you why we won't be raptured out. We'll be caught up. That's different. That is different. There's going to be a body of people that are going to be caught up into the heavenly realm. Guess who they are? The Huios, the fully matured man-child, will be caught up and they will be given this holy order, this, this authority of the king with his signet ring and he will put his seal on our foreheads and then we will come back and feed the, bride, feed the woman in the, in the desert. That's the, that's the only caught up. That's not a rapture of the church. Why? Listen, we know that the devil is an accuser. We know that, it, just like with Job, that he can go to the, the courts of God. He can go into, the, into that, that third heavens. And he can say to God, well, look at your man Job. Well, yeah, look at my man Job. 
but you, he's only following you because you gave him all of this, that he did, you gave him all, the, all these great things. Okay, and remove it off him. We'll see whether he follows me. So just from that example, do you think God's going to take us out? When the devil can come to him and say, well, how do you know they wouldn't have said no to you? How do you know they would have said, stayed steadfast? How do you know, how do you know, God, that they would have said, no, I, will, I, will, I, I, recount, I, I, I take a step back, I don't want to follow God anymore, when all the pressures... How do you know they wouldn't have done that? Because he took them out. He took them out before I could have a go at them. That's the type of the accuser that we've got. So God, just like Job, will have a body of people that will go through this. And just like Job, we will come out the other end victorious. Victorious. I'm, I, I'm not post-trib, I'm not mid-trib or pre-trib. You know, I just believe that there will be a calling up. There will be a catching up. But I don't think it's going to be the whole church. In fact, I know by scripture, it isn't going to be the whole church. So we've got to get prepared. God is going to have the biggest revival and the biggest reformation of his kingdom whilst we're going through the biggest storm. There are going to be more people when this storm hits our shores and in this world there's going to be such a storm. But in this massive storm that the Antichrist is going to set up, God is going to have his victory. That's when the billion souls or the two billion souls are going to come in. In the, in the height of all of this happening in this world, God is going to have a body of people that are victorious, which is pride. It's his bride, it's you and me. So we're not to be worried about what's coming. Because in all these blood moons, when we've had a look at it, you know the teaching. I don't, I, I, you can go on, if you haven't heard it, it's on the podcast. But we know that in 1948 and 49, when, the, when these blood moons came, on the Feast of Passover and the Feast of, of Tabernacle, with the total eclipse happening when? The Day of Atonement. Happened again, 1967, 1968. What was 1948 happening? Israel coming back. Yeah, they became a nation. But what happened in 1948 for the church? It released the healing revival. It, there was a, such a healing revival hitting the whole church in 1948. What happened in 1967? Right, there's war in Israel. Now we saw the war that happened in Israel in 1967 when they took back Jerusalem. So we know there's going to be war in Israel. But what happened in 67-68 with the blood moons? The two blood moons, again, Feast of Passover, Feast of Tabernacle, with the total eclipse of the sun happening when? On the Day of Atonement. That's on NASA's website. But what was released on the church? The charismatic movement was released. So my question is, 2014, 2015, Feast of Passover, Feast of Tabernacle, Total eclipse, day of atonement. What's going to be released on us? Do you get this? I'm studying Daniel. And I'm getting it. What is going to be released on us? The kingdom of heaven is going to be released on us. The bride will be established. The bride will come into an authority. The bride will start walking as Jesus did. And we will start doing the greater works. Even greater, Jesus says, John 14, 12, even greater things you shall do than I. This is about to come on the church, folks. But how much of the church know about it? So you can see 
that we are like Daniel's. We ticked off for days. Folks, you are going to see the Lord's return. Because the Lord is going to come to his people before he comes for his people. And God is going to have a fulfillment of that feast of tabernacles, where God is going to tabernacle in his people. Do you follow me? It's one of the feasts, one of the only feasts that has not been fulfilled. The feast of Passover has been fulfilled. Who? Jesus. But we saw a, a dress rehearsal of that feast. When? When Israel came out of Egypt. It was a dress rehearsal. That's the whole thing of the holy convocations, the Mikra. Dress rehearsals. When was the dress rehearsal of Tabernacle? Anybody tell me, when the dress rehearsal of Tabernacle, Jesus coming out of the water, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased to dwell in. So it was a partial fulfilling. So this is why Jesus says, well, God says, that in the last days I will raise up the Tabernacle of who? Not Moses, of David. Where the glory of the Tabernacle, the, the throne of God was on display to the whole world. And that light lit up the whole of Jerusalem. But we're not talking about a thing. We're talking about a people. You and me. That are going to light up this world. We are the righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's you and me. We're on the brink of this, folks. We are on the brink of this. So very quickly, I'm going to sum up what can we learn? And if we get these three things right, I'm absolutely, we're guaranteed the blessings of God. We're, we're, we're guaranteed. This is number one. These are the three things that we must learn from the first six books of Daniel. We haven't quite finished Daniel, the first six books. Number one, character before comfort and ministry. Character must come first before our comfort or our ministry. If my character sucks, he won't let me into the ministry. God has not bothered what we do, he's bothered why we do it. It's as simple as that. And Daniel's character had honor, it had integrity, it had discipline, it had the nine fruits of the Spirit running out of him and in him in cuploads. But he would not compromise one inch from serving the God of the Most High. Not one inch did he budge. And I want Daniel's godly character. I want 2 Peter 1 verses 5 and 8, the fruitful growth in faith. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. This is why I've been saying, if we can get two things right in this place, to love the Lord with all of your heart, and then to love one another. That sums it up. That sums up that verse. To love God with all of your heart and then to learn how to love one another. And it says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we'll get everything from heaven. It's going to come down. And I'll tell you what, in bushfire, we're getting it. We're getting it. This bunch of misfits from all different walks of life, from rich, poor, Fat, ugly. I'm speaking about myself then. By all of this, 
We're coming together as a body. We've got lovely people like Andrew and Christina, all lovely people in bushfire, but we're learning to love one another. We feel like a family in bushfire, don't we? It's such a great atmosphere. And that shift has really come in the last two months. It's really come when we're starting to actually care about one another. We're starting to actually think, I want the best for that person. I want God's blessing on Christine. I want it on Corin. I want, I want Billy and Steve to go higher and bigger and greater. And <coughs> You see, Peter hit this bang on the, on the head. God loves his church. And we can never lose sight that God loves his church. But his church has not got to be a compromising church. It's got to be a contrasting church. We've got to contrast. We've got to be the difference. Instead of compromising to the ways of this world, we have got to be the difference. We are called to be light to this world. We're called to be salt. We're called to be love to this world. And we're called to be Jesus to this world. So that we can stand up as a body of people and say, we are Christians. We are Christ-like. Because we reflect him. But we give him the glory. This is coming. Listen, I'm going to tell you a story. I only found out about this guy, Tommy Dorsey. Anybody heard of him? Anybody heard of Tommy Dorsey? He was a black... You are close, Norman. Fantastic. Tommy Dorsey was a black jazz musician in the 1920s. And he went on to this whole thing. You know, he went on to the scene and he started singing and playing in jazz clubs all throughout the United States. But his lyrics were a little bit iffy. <laughs> they were a lot iffy. But in 1926, God gets hold of this black man and absolutely turns his life the right way up. And then... Tom Do- Tommy Dorsey, he couldn't play and do the lyrics that he was doing. So what he did is he changed them into songs to the Lord. He started writing Christian music. He started writing Christian song. But then as we know in the United States, that that wouldn't be popular in the jazz clubs and the, and the jazz nights that they would have. So they kicked him out. The will kicked him out of it. We don't want to know these godly lyrics that you've got. We, we, give us the ones that you would... You know, we can dance to. Give us the ones that made us laugh. Give us the ones that we could sing along to. But none of this Christian rubbish. Isn't that the way of the world now? But Tommy Dorsey, in the 1930s in America, when we have the Great, Great Depression, he had to make a choice. He could either go back to the world and sing these songs and make money. But in 1926, sorry, in 1930, whilst he was trying to get, get into churches. He was trying to get into churches giving buildings and, you know, so he could play these songs. But the churches said, we don't want anything to do with it. Why? This isn't how we do things in this church. We sing hymns. We sing lovely things. We don't do it that way. They rejected him. Totally rejected him. So now he's rejected by the world and he's rejected by the church. He gets a telegram in the city of St. Louis. He gets his telegram. And he's been told in this telegram that his wife, who was heavily pregnant, died. And he's left alone in the world. Listen to this. This is what he wrote. He wrote, 
get emotional. He wrote this song on that night that he finds out that his beautiful wife and his firstborn child just both died. He says, precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Help me stand. For I am tired and I am weak and I am waning, but lead me through this storm and through this light, this night. Lead me, Lord, into your light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. Tommy Dorsey is now credited to be the father of all the black gospel music in the churches in America. He's totally credited for that now. But he died in complete poverty and obscurity. And the only thing that he had was his faith in the Lord to take his hand and lead him through this storm. Incredible. Number two. Folks, we're going to be rejected by the world. And we're also going to be rejected by the church, the mainstream church, with this new thing, this new song that just like Tom, Tommy Dorsey had a new song and a new way. We're getting a new song and we're getting a new way and the church is going to reject it. They're going to start saying this isn't of God. And then we, we, will, we will be rejected. Let's get used to it. Number two. And this is where I have been so challenged. I'm sorry if I'm going on a bit. I have been so, so challenged in this. Number two. There's only one other point after this. Daniel chose discipline over disorder. Daniel was disciplined. He had a disciplined prayer life. He had a disciplined, disciplined study of the word. He had a disciplined spiritual life like never before. I read the book of Johnny Wilkinson. Anyone heard of Johnny Wilkinson? Johnny Wilkinson, a rugby player, played for England in the World Cup 2003. They're playing in the World Cup final against Australia. The, the points are level. They're all level. And in the final points of extra time, they make a break. Martin Johnson makes a first break, goes down. They set up a ruck. Dawson fires a, a dummy, goes in, makes a few more yards. Why? Because they're trying to get Johnny Wilkinson closer and closer to the posts so he can do a drop goal. The ball comes back. Dawson looks up, sees Johnny ready, but he thinks, oh my word, Johnny is left-footed. I'm going to have to pass it to his right. That way he's covered. Fires it out. Johnny Wilkinson, with all the coolness and collection, with his weaker foot, hammers this Drop goal straight through the posts. Wins the World Cup. I jumped so high, my hand went through the ceiling. So hard and so high, I thought I broke my knuckles. I jumped up and my hand went through the ceiling. But folks, if you knew the discipline of Johnny Wilkinson, where he practised Hour after hour after hour after hour. He was the first on the pitch and the last to leave. And it became quite a regular thing that the groundsman would say to Johnny Wilkinson, here's the keys, lock up after you leave. He had discipline in his life. He practiced with his left and then he practiced with his right. It drove his parents almost beyond. But he would, he would literally do this in every club. He wanted to be the best rugby player in the world. So when it came up to making a decision, he knew because of the practice that he put off the pitch that he could do the things on the pitch. He was one of the greatest and still is one of the greatest goal kickers. His percentage in goal kicking is in the 90s. If you get about 83, that is excellent. But Johnny Wilkinson very rarely misses his goal kicks. Why? Because he's disciplined. How much more should we be disciplined 
as Christians on wanting to do and be the best for God. Are we disciplined? Are we, have we got a prayer life? Have we got a, a study life where we're just saying, Lord, I want to study your word, I want to pray to you, but I want to seek your face. This is what I desire. That, Lord, that I may gaze upon your beautiful face and seek you in your temple. Psalm 27. Are we doing that? And we've got to do two things. The first thing is, listen, we've got to do this. We've got to control our tongues. We've got to control our tongues. That leprosy that, that Neville spoke about is coming into the church. It will be judged. God is about to pronounce leprosy by the fruits of our mouths. If we're speaking evil against people, God's going to judge people for that. We're going to see people taken out because of this. Because God's had enough of it. Listen to this. Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Simple, small minds discuss people. Great minds speak about ideas. Average minds speak about events. Small minds speak about people. Let's not be small-minded. Let's start speaking about God's ideas, God's ways. Number two, we've got to have, and Neville has written this, he's told us from, you know, when we spoke to him, he said, we have got to be disciplined in our prayer life like never before. And I love bushfire. If we have a prayer request, this request goes out to everybody who's got a mobile phone that's registered with Heidi. She sends out a prayer request so we can immediately pray about a situation. We have seen amazing miracles happen because people drop what they're doing, whether they're at work or, or two hours afterwards, and they pray. It gets round. But listen, if our... We, we should never, ever complain when prayer is taken out of society and out of schools if our homes prayer is being taken out of. If we don't pray in our homes, don't be surprised when the society takes prayer out of society and schools. Don't be surprised if we're not studying the word in our homes that the word gets completely and utterly misrepresented in the church and to the world. Number three, the final one. Daniel excelled because he chose love over life. Daniel excelled before the Lord because he chose his love for him over his own life. My question is, God, are you enough? Or is God enough in your, in your life? He is, is he your number one? Is he your first love? My prayer is this. Lord, I love my master. I love you, Lord. I love my wife and I love my boy. Lord, I love you with all my heart. You can do whatever you want with this life. It's yours. It's totally and utterly yours. We're getting there, folks, in bushfire. We're getting there. I'm going to speak a little bit more next week of how we get there and how we go through this lion's den and what to do when we're going through it.
It is so exciting for what is going to come on. If we don't apply this in our lives, we will lose it. I promise you. Psalm 32, verses 7 to 10. This is it, I'm finishing. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. This is David. This is David when he's found out that in Psalm 25, when, he's, when, when, when Samuel comes to him, you know, if you read in Psalm 25 how Daniel's bones were wasting away because of the sin that was in his life with, with uh, Bathsheba and the, the murder of Bathsheba's husband. But now, this is, this is David when he's confessed this to the Lord. He's just in a few verses before he's confessed the whole thing to the Lord. And that was done on the blood of sheep and goats. How much more have we got it with the blood of Jesus? We've got total, total forgiveness. And this is what, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. This is God saying this to us. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like a horse or like a mule which has no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they would not come near Many the sorrows shall be for the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Folks, we're about to enter into it. By the time I finish this book of Daniel, we'll be in it. I promise you, we'll be in it. We're just about... To have, we've seen, we're seeing the trickle. We're seeing the trickle in bushfire. Neville said to us, Andy, this will start with a trickle. It will then become a little stream. It will then become a faster stream. It then will develop into a river. And then it will become a raging torrent. We're seeing prophetically the first trickles of what Neville spoke over us. We're going to see a stream next. And this is, we're, we're, we're in it. <laughs> so, Father, I ask you now, Lord, I pray that we can become like Daniel, where, Lord, there is no compromise in our lives, that we make you the number one. That, Father, that we choose to have life over love, that love over life. That, Lord, we choose discipline over disorder in our lives. And, Father, I pray that we will become. Lord, so full of the fruit of the Spirit, so full of godly character, that, Lord, that we will have honour and integrity and discipline running through our lives, that it doesn't matter what is thrown against us. Lord, you are going to be victorious. And Father, I pray now, can you not allow us to have small minds? And we're talking about people and pulling them down with the words of our mouths because, Lord, it says that we will eat the fruit of thereof. Lord, I pray that we become a people that can only speak good about others and build them up. And, Father, I pray now, I really pray, Lord, Lord, just, just be with among us that you will have a people that love you and are abandoned to you. And that, Lord, that you will show us how to love one another. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.
been a difficult one for me personally to get that one out. I've spent, Heidi is just brilliant. She gives me time to go away and study and shut myself off and pray. But I have been so convicted this week. So convicted. I want my house to be a house of prayer. I want my house to become a house full of the Word of God. I want my house to become where the angels come and reside because there is such a presence of God upon it. I want my house to be completely saturated with heaven. And if we can cultivate that in our homes, when we come together, what we're going to cultivate here? Yes? No? Say amen. (laughs) I'm not telling you what to say, but it's a good place to say amen. And by the way, Debs, I'm sorry about that one. Hey, no, I said amen. You've got to say it. When she, anyway. yeah. Sorry, that's a private joke. She'll get it. Does anybody want to say anything? Because, folks, this is you know, your time to say something. If you want to, after next week, what we're going to do is well, there isn't going to be any word. We'll just have an extended time of worship in not next week, but the week after. We're going to have an extended time of worship. But folks, I want you to bring some things to the table. I want, you know, you can have a five minute, no more, because we might have a few people coming up, but just bring something to the table. Bring a question. Bring something what the Lord is revealing to you. Bring, bring whatever, you know, you feel that, that the Lord is saying. And, and we'll share it. We'll discuss it. We'll just have, we'll have an open evening where we can bring whatever to the table. And we might not all have the answer, but somebody might have. You know, so we will, you, you can think about it, you can pray about it, you can just say, okay, Lord, about what we've been talking about. You know, I don't really understand this. Or, or <coughs> I feel the Lord can add to that, and he can say that. So we're, we're going to do that. So next week we're going to finish Daniel 6, because the first six books of Daniel are all about Daniel. This, from, from chapter 7 to chapter 12, is about our day. And I'm really looking forward to going to that. Really looking forward to it. I'm holding back. Um, really, it's been a real quiet strain, but, but I feel that we need to learn some of the things for that Daniel. So has anybody got anything they want to say? Go on, June, I knew you would. When you mentioned about, you know, storing stuff up and things, you know, for a future day, yep. a thought came to me uh, in Scripture. Um, in John 4, and he was speaking to the Samaritan woman, and he said, um, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he will have given you living water. And then in verse 13, that was 10 of red. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give them will become a spring of water Amen. welling up into eternal life. I wondered if how much was that of my sister's picture. And then it went on to speak about, uh, they was all saying, yeah, we must be very hungry, they sent them off, hadn't they, while? Mm-hmm. Anyhow, I said, um, they was arguing and hardly dying to speak, Rabbi eat something, and then he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples looked and said, someone fed him, etc. My food, says Jesus, is to do the will of him 
who sent me and to finish his work. And you know, he says, and do you not say four more, more months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Amen. Others have done the hard work. Right? And you have received the benefits of their labor. And you know, I thought there, he really was speaking about him supplying. Whatever he's going to call us into, he's going to supply our needs. That's right. According to Absolutely. our riches in glory. And when we've believed. Yeah. On a practical note, I didn't get last week. And I went on Bushfire website and I couldn't see where the Daniel stuff is at all. So I just would like some enlightenment if I can. I would, you know, I'd like to have listened to last week. So it's still it's up there. You'll have to gem me up because I didn't hit any, anything to do with Daniel. I'm a bit dim as far as a computer. Well, no, no I don't say that. that no, no, don't say that. No, I'm actually a bright spark. But anyhow. That's right. <laughs> You're the sharpest pencil in the uh, pencil I, I, case. I just choose not to, to be low-key with my computer. <laughs> but I, I would like some advice at some point. Yeah, we'll show you Sunday. Or oh, Heineken. And I thought it was very good, as they always have been. So thank you, thank brother, you, for nice. delving and digging. Sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> sometimes you think, oh, this is just a waste of time. But, you know, no, no, I'm getting so much out of it. I've yeah. got to be honest, I'm challenged. I am so challenged by this. Yeah. And where we are, and, and it's, if it was just for me, it's, it's been worthwhile. Yeah. But I want to share it, you know. Thanks, G. Has anyone else got anything? But don't forget, two weeks' time. So next Saturday, we're going to finish. Friday. Next Friday, sorry. We're going to finish Daniel off, uh, chapter 6. And the week after that, we're just going to have an extended time of worship. And then it's going to be open mic. And then we'll tape it all. We'll see what comes out of it. I think it would be exciting. Especially Billy. She'll already now be thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to ask? <laughs> yeah. Steve, is this what it's like to live with, with Billy? <laughs> Does anybody want to say anything? June? Something did occur to me as well on that, uh, John 4. It said Jesus was sat at Jacob's well and it was the sixth hour. Sixth hour is midday. Because the Jewish day goes from six in the morning to six in the evening. And so 12 hours is six uh, six hours. And that was the lightest part of the day. Because it talks about darkness covers the earth, and the brightest. But a rise shine for the light has come. Mm. So I think he was making a statement there. Yep, absolutely. Anybody else? I've got a strange thought. Oh, here we go. I had a strange thought. Um, Brace, hang on, let me just brace brace, myself. Brace, brace, brace. Get into brace position. Um, It was when you, before actually, I'll just say it. You were talking about, um, you know, we're going to rise out of the ashes. And then you said you're going to get your bride dress on. And I just <laughs> had this vision 
of a, well, Eurovision Song Contest winner oh, is yeah. the bearded lady singing The Rise of the Phoenix. And it yeah. was just like, well, actually, I know it's kind of counterfeit, but... It is. But, it is. But the kind of, there's something, there's something that kind of got tickled me about it, I think. Anyway. Was, was it male or female? It's male. It's male, but... So I couldn't work it out, because I mean... She or thing or whatever. Yeah, don't, just don't go too far, down. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. It's Zardy now. Go brace, brace, brace. Okay, you can release. <laughs> so the rising, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, nice, nice, interesting thought. The counterfeit. Come on, that's what I love. What's never small, Ange? Um, when you say a body of people are going to be called up for the assignments and come back down, yep. oh, will we all do that together, or will there be? your own special time you go home. I, I, I think it will be staged. You know, I, I think that a lot of us will start sharing very similar stories about how we were caught up. Some, like Sadhu, will sometimes pass, you know, Neville in, in the spirit. They, they go, hi, just off there. You know, one's going up and the other one's coming down. And, and, and Bob Jones saw that a lot as well. He saw people like... Um, people in heaven, and he said, oh, I saw you, you know, you were there. So we will, we will come down and we'll say, hey, Norman, guess what, I saw you, you stood before, you stood at the throne room of God, you know, and I saw you, Norman, God's given you a new CEO. So, so we, we may, I don't think we'll go up all together, because there'll be too many. I mean, yeah, you see, yeah, but, but no, I want VIP treatment. You know, no, but you know, I, think, I think there will be a court catching up around about the same time that we'll start coming to church and we'll start telling the same sort of things that we've seen in heaven. And what we will see, we will bring inventions down. Because when this all comes, you know, it's going to be... Oh, out there it's going to be dark. Literally dark. Um, but God will give us a certain body of people, inventions. Other will come down and, and be able to say, right, come to this and this is what you do. If you've, if you've been marked because you've been forced to have taken a mark, just come here. And it... Just a ding, and it's gone. It's disappeared. You know, so there'll, there'll be all sorts of stuff. You know, we'll be bringing back seed from heaven. We'll be bringing back manna from heaven that we won't need to be fed three times a day. We we'll just take a bit of the manna, and it will feed us and give us all the nutrients. So, I, I think, I think, well, there's definitely a, a catching up. Look, that's quite. Listen, folks, it's quite controversial that in in the church. You know, that sort of thing. It's very controversial, but. It's what I believe in. Now, do your study. You know, come up with a, another one. The lady that wrote the line of Judah, that yeah. be a Shia, you know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, folks, you know, we, we might be sat here and thinking, well, we're not seeing a lot. There's a lot of activity in heaven. There is, there is such activity in heaven. Like, you know, it is, it's, it's mind-blowing. If, if only we could just pull that veil back and just pop our head through, we'll be shocked. We'll be shocked, but also excited. Because this is about, you know, this is about to hit the body. You know? 
No, no wolf. No wolf. Just a gap. That's the first part. We'll get in there. Would it be? I, I, I totally believe, though, actually, Angela, I also believe that churches will be taken up. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I, I believe it. And I also believe this, is that Jesus will enter into some churches and start teaching the people. And we've got all this coming. It is, you know, I mean, I know from Neville. Yes. I'm just, I'm just thinking, anybody else want? Okay, God bless. Heidi, do you want to? Yeah, just God bless you all.